Rock and roll and drugs have historically often gone hand in hand. Many musicians are dealing with, have dealt with, or have died from addiction. The list is long and includes names like Steve Earle, Courtney Love, Amy Winehouse, Janis Joplin, and The Doors' Jim Morrison. But while the lifestyle of a musician can be supportive of addiction, it could also be used to help combat the problem. That's where Gene Bowen comes in. He's the co-founder of Road Recovery, an organization that helps young people recovering from addiction and other adversities. Gene joins me now in the studio. Gene, welcome. Hey. Hi, George. And on the phone with us is Simon Kirk. Simon is a drummer best known as a member of Free and Bad Company. He serves on Road Recovery's board and joins us on the phone. Simon, hello. Hi, George. Nice to be here. Gene, let's start with you. Tell us about the mission of Road Recovery. Road Recovery is comprised of entertainment industry professionals who have all dealt with their own personal adversity and reaching out and working with at-risk youth through the process of creating live concert events and recording projects. And what we do is we've, we've kind of brought two unlikely characters together, the medical world and the entertainment industry, if you can believe it. And so all the young people that we work with have some, uh, some connection with a healthcare provider who's guiding them in terms of whatever adversity that they're, they're dealing with. And what, they are, what we do is we create a safe environment where they get to hear from people from our industry who have dealt with different issues from diabetes and addiction and eating disorders and, and, and such and, and engage in the process of change and, and through the experience of these individuals by rolling up their sleeves and creating live concert events and recording projects. What's the story behind Road Recovery? How did it come to be? Uh, came to be by a bunch of crazy people in the entertainment industry who had faced their own situations and wanted to give back in a way to reach out to young people and show and basically provide them with hope and to show that people with white coats, whether they're endocrinologists or they're psychiatrists or whatever, actually are, are quite helpful in, in terms of creating and sustaining a, a healthy lifestyle. And uh, drawing upon their own, obviously their own personal life experience, but what they do professionally in in creating live concert events and recording projects as the go-to or the action or the engagement. But what it's all about is building a relationship. You know, we exist in a society that we have to reintroduce our or reinvent our laundry detergent every couple of weeks to keep everyone engaged and. We're all about the quick fix and such, and this is all about one human helping another, and it's really about you know expressing that and, and building a relationship, and through that, uh, sharing one's personal experiences, trials, tribulations, and solutions, uh, and getting busy, not sitting on, uh, on, a, on a couch and just talking about it, but actually doing something and creating something that's greater than the individual. Now, you have your own story of addiction and recovery, right? Yes. Uh, I have. Uh, I come from a place when I was a kid and life confused me, and I had a lot of fear of transitioning from nursery school to, uh, to first grade, and it just kind of went from there. And what gave me solace or peace was live music, and I chased that. And, and through that, I discovered I have no musical ability. I have no talent in that area, but, but I, had, I discovered I had logistical ability and found myself in a career uh, as a tour manager. And from that, the fear didn't go away, and drugs and alcohol helped to fill the gap, and they provided the solution for a long time until they didn't. And then it started to take me down, and I got clean 24 years ago. And I was told by people that that's the end of the music business. You got to get away from it. So 
I went and worked in the post office for a while, and I found out there are more crazy people in the post office than there will ever be in the music business, so I went back to the music business. But I was open about my situation and what I had been through, and I got to know people like Simon, and um, we, and Simon and a whole bunch of other people from behind the scenes to those out on stage, and we decided how could we take what we've been through in our own lives and bring that to, to helping young people, and that was how Road Recovery started in 1998, it's 18 years we've been doing wow. this. Simon, how big a part did drugs and alcohol play in your rock and roll career? Oh, a lot. You know, I've been um, I've been in this business now professionally since I was 19, which is what 40, 48 years, coming up on 50 years. And I guess from the 90s or the mid 80s through till about. Uh, 30 years. I mean, they, it, the drugs and alcohol played a large part of my uh, existence. And uh, then I met a guy called Scott Biedenfeld, Dr. Scott, who introduced me to Gene and Jack, Jack Bookbinder, the other founder of Road Recovery, about eight years ago, I believe. And um, it's it's been a godsend to me, um, being able to, I think also dealing with, with the younger people and, and they're not just teenagers, you know, they're people in the early twenties, mid twenties, early thirties, primarily though, it's, uh, the, the younger, um, the younger element. Uh, I guess I see myself in them, uh, 30 or 40 years ago. And, you know, addiction doesn't carry the stigma that it used to, um, when I was their age. Uh, but it's still, as you, you only have to pick up the paper or listen to the news to, to hear of overdoses and kids in trouble. So I think, and I know that, that this organization uh, creates an, an oasis for for kids to come in. And they don't have to have any musical talent. A lot of them do. Uh, but I think just the fact that they can mingle with kids of their own age and talk about their... Uh, addiction um, and what they're going through. And we don't just deal with substance abuse. We deal with, with mental issues, depression, uh, eating disorders, just being pissed off with one's parents. I mean, just, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's to be a teenager now, you travel a rocky road, and um, we offer a safe haven. And if you can play an instrument, even better. Gene, what can you tell us about the programs that you offer young people? So the program, it's basically a model that can be interchanged in any population of kids, and it consists of three parts, and in their, in their, in their order is, uh, first we come together peer support, we discuss what's going on, maybe there's a topic or someone shares something. Um, then there's a, the next part is business. We have a business meeting. It's self-governing. They make all the decisions. They have ownership of the program, and they have ownership of the project, so they decide what projects. And then they have to organize it. They have to figure out, well, if we're doing a show in three months or we have a recording or we have whatever, they've got to put it all in order and, and figure out, well, what do we have to do today in order to meet that deadline? And so then out of the business meeting comes the, the work order for the night, which is the creative. And as, as uh, Simon said... A lot of the kids that come in, they've, they've been so shut down that they, never, they don't even think of themselves as having any creativity. And what we have to first tell them is that, guess what? You're a human being. And that's one of the components that's, that's built in as a human being. You are creative. And you need to just find that. And it's just then one kid helping another. If that kids come in and they'll look at a drum kit and they'll say, 
I don't know, maybe I should play that. The next thing you know, they're playing it. And next thing you know, they're playing a show. So, you know, all of this is all about the power of we. You know, me alone, I was 28 when I got clean. I was in a really bad place alone. But through the power of we, through a lot of help of professionals and like-minded people, I have a beautiful life today. And that's what we're trying to show young people, that there is hope. And it's very simple. If you stay alive, there's hope. If you're dead, there's no hope. I know one of your mantras is being present, right? Yes. Everything is about being present, which is, God, that is a hard, hard, hard thing to do, which I know Simon and I suffer from with, mm-hmm. with, the, with the life that we have and, and such. But yes, if you're present, being present means being in that moment and, and experiencing that moment. And that's what, our, that's what kids want. That's what we all want, right? We all want, and in this day of distraction, right, with all the electronics, when you're sitting and you're being present and exchanging, it's, 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 things, life changes, things change, perspectives change, and, and that's, what, that's what we're about. Simon, it's, what do you do to be present? What do I do to be present? Well, I meditate, and I do yoga, I eat properly, and I stay away from drinking drugs a day at a time. Uh, I also, you know, being a grandfather, I'm I'm uh, very much aware about of what is going on with kids today. Uh, you know, there's a certain amount of regret, obviously, uh, having lived uh, 67 years. Um, there are certain elements, and and times in my past that I regret. But you know what? It's okay to look back, but don't stare. Just get on with, with what is in front of you. Um, stay in the moment. I have a good life now. I have a wonderful uh, fiancé. I'm going to get married next year. I have a new life ahead of me. Congratulations and to I'm you. I'm not going to screw it up with drink and drugs anymore. And and just going, attending the meetings, going to the, the studio where Road Recovery is based uh, on 41st Street, West 41st Street. And you walk in, it's only a small room, and there's maybe a dozen, 15 kids there. And it really fills me with with emotion. Um, but I wish some, I had had that at that age. But these kids, they come from all over. They come from Jersey. They come from where? You know, uh, upstate, uh, and they come across town. They come from downtown, uptown, whatever. But they they get their asses in. They sit down. We have a meeting. They share what's going on with them, and then they pick up an instrument and they play. Some of them are good. Some of them are not so good. But they're all joined by this common bond of wanting to to get well. And it's it's difficult. Peer pressure is very difficult nowadays. But they're making that effort. And to me, that's what really counts. No question the allure of the rock star lifestyle can be very attractive. So how do you convince a young person that you can still be cool, you can still be creative without drugs and alcohol in your life? Well, if if I could make a T-shirt or a a button, I would say that sober is sexy. Well, one of the things that we discovered we had no idea was that if you give young people, you give them ownership, a lot of people, we're we're generally, our society is scared of young people, right? But if you give them ownership of something and they have a stake in it, get out of their way. They're Sherman tanks. One of the things that we discovered (laughs) was that kids, because um, these kids have to remain in these 
polluted, toxic environments. I have to go to school and everything like that. And and the and so what we discovered was that the opportunities that they were getting by getting to work with professionals in the industry, by having opportunities to go meet other people, to have a place where they could take something that was inside of them and create it and then actually hear it, those opportunities outweighed what was coming at them. So many of them reported that they would go into these peer pressured environments where they would be offered something or to ask to engage in some at risk behavior. And they'd say, well, if I do that, um, Black Sabbath is coming to town and Sharon and Ozzy are supporters of road recovery. And we're going to go hang with Ozzy to talk about his life. Or Simon is working with me in the studio or Macklemore is coming to town. So all of a sudden, the tables are turned, and they'll say, well, if I engage with what you want me to do, I can't participate in this. And all of a sudden, their friends are saying, well, I want to go do that. And they'll say, well, I made this choice, so this is what it affords me. And many of the kids have reported that that's how they get themselves out of these sticky binds. How important do you think it is for musicians to be open about their struggles with sobriety, to talk about oh, it? It's so, it's so important. I mean, you're teach basically. You're teaching. You're, you're in the role of a teacher in that you have travelled a road that you don't want them to go down. And and there's only so much that you can impart to a kid. They have to learn themselves. But there are shortcuts. And and if, if you know if they look up to you because you know I'm a well-known drummer, I'm a well-known musician, and they want to do the same thing. Well, you know, I probably took five or ten years off my career by, you know, indulging in drinking drugs and outrageous behavior. It got me nowhere. And it was only, you know, the 12-step program and and uh, uh, societies like, I don't know, could you be called a society, Gene? I'm trying to think. Organization like Red Recovery helped me, really helped me. And, and if I can help kids do that and try and try and sidestep the pitfalls that I got involved in, um, then then it's all worthwhile. Um, and really, but the, the drag is that they have to find out for themselves. They're just trying to shine a light on, on the potholes in the way. Does that make any sense? Mm-hmm. And we create an open environment. The thing is, if you're honest with kids, kids respond to that. They may go hit their head against the wall because that's what they do. But, you know, when when you speak honestly with them and you offer them opportunities. And not be preachy. And not be preachy. Right. When you speak Don't from the eye, when you say, when I was your age, this is what I was doing. And when you also say to them, you know, you're 15, I'm 52. You help me, I help you, that I, I don't have all the answers, and I actually need your help to continue what I'm doing. It's, and it's, it's a whole different dynamic. It's a whole different uh, conversation. And the fact that there's when you don't judge, we've had many kids who have came to us at 14, and at 18 they're going off to college, and they're like, I don't know if I have a problem. I have to go check this out. And we say, well, be safe, because the consequences could be, you know, you could die. But you got a lot of knowledge and a lot of experience, and you got to do what you got to do. Like Simon said, they got to do it. And we've had kids come back three years later and said, "You know what? Um, I knew I could come back here, and I got a cocaine problem, or I got I got severe depression, and I knew I could come back here, and you guys could help me find the right the the, the solution, or find me a connection or resource to deal with it." And that's what it is. It's really it's being very open, giving them a lot of space, treating them with a lot of respect making them feel that they have value, tremendous value, and then letting them run with it and then guiding them 
I'm giving them a lot of suggestions. And it's not only... They, they, well, they come from homes where the trust is no longer in their, on the horizon. You know, the trust has been taken away from them by their parents, for better or for worse. I'm a parent too, and, and uh, I, so I, I know both sides of the fence. But when you give a kid trust and you give them the response, responsibility is too straight a word. You've got to be responsible. Just say, I trust you. And that's huge for a kid. I trust you. you know, you'll see you next week. How do young people find out about road recovery? Uh, it's a lot, word of, a lot of word of mouth, kids talking to kids, um, a lot of health care providers um, uh, from, you know, psychiatrists, you know, outpatient programs or, or, you know, areas of support. They find out about us, but um, WFUV yeah. is, is certainly helping that in a big way. Uh, thank you for that. Um, and it's also, it's not just rock stars. It's workers among workers. They get to sit with people who make their living, whether they're working musicians or working production people or whatever it is. Could be a roadie. Engineers. Mm-hmm. It could be anything. But the message to them is you can find what you want. You know, you can do what you want. There's a famous guy from uh, Harlem named Dougie Fresh, the human beatbox. And he said, you know, we're told our parents says, you know, what are you going to be when you grow up? And he's like, my whole thing is, what do you want to do? Because if you start with what you want to do, you will find it. So we say to the kids, if you come in and all you can think of is playing guitar, well, good. Keep playing the guitar and be open about that. And if you're supposed to be a plumber and you follow that guitar, you will end up being the most amazing plumber. We've seen it a thousand times, you know. So get up and do what you want to do. Yeah, make your bed, you know. Don't leave the dishes, you know. Do the right thing. Do your schoolwork. But, you know, go for that. Go for that wholeheartedly and you will discover. So they get to they get to mingle and work with people who have found happiness in their career and, and are doing it on a daily basis. And then they get to exchange with those people. How do you go about enlisting people within the music industry to get involved with you? Um, it's it's they find us, you know, and people come to us and say, what do I do? And I say, you know, if I tell you what to do, then I've just eliminated a thousand possibilities. So what we always say is just show up. And that was what with Simon's. I mean, like, what can I do? I said, just show up, show up and speak. And the rest will be revealed. And that's where I you showed have... up. And within 10 minutes, I was playing drums. Yeah. <laughs> And the rest is, it goes from there, you know. And, yeah. and you know, it, it, we attract a certain type of people, you know. There's a lot of wonderful people in our industry, and there's a lot of other people that I can't use the word to describe them in our industry. <laughs> and those people don't want anything to do with us. I know you recently worked with John Taylor and Roger Taylor of Duran Duran, right? They're old friends of ours. And um, so one of the things the kids record every week so they started recording songs and writing songs with people in mind. So they wrote one one young lady wrote a song and had Simon in mind. So Simon collaborated with her and came, and we did it. Another one was done. Um, uh, Slash did a couple of songs. Tom Morello from Rage Against the Machine. Um, Peter Frampton. Peter Frampton. Yeah, yeah. Frampton yeah. and and it goes on and on and on. Jill Sobule, Wayne Kramer from the MC5. And so anyway, John and Roger from Duran Duran heard about this and they heard this collection of songs and they said we got to get in on it so they just they've been in the middle of this paper gods tour going around the world so as they would come through New York they'd meet with the kids and exchange creative ideas and we'd send files back and forth and this went on and on back and forth over the last nine months and then last summer at the end of the one of the legs we carved out a day and everyone had been working in cyberspace on this on this song, and they came in and spent a better part of a day 
in the studio working on it and and got it done and then the kids finished it and then we sent it to them and then they ended up producing and mixing it uh it's called no rewind and um it's very very duran duran You know, sometimes we hear lyrics that celebrate getting drunk and high. What responsibility do you think a musician has to be more of a positive role model for a young person? Well, you're imposing your persona, your what you believe is good on, on a kid. And, and as we all know, I mean, most of us are fathers. But a kid from the age of, God, you know, from six through to... 20 is is at the most impressionable age, that 12 or 15 years, uh, they're at their most professional. So uh, um, uh, impressionable. So really, uh, you shouldn't. You shouldn't celebrate getting drunk or high. You can write about it, but not in a celebratory way. You can write that it's damaging or that you did stuff that was bad or, you know, drove drunk or... or or behaved uh, abominably to your girlfriend, um, but one shouldn't celebrate it. And I think, you know, anyone who gets off on 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 that, um, you know, is probably a bit of a, a wanker, you know, from the get go. So I, I mean, I I would never I would never write a song that celebrated getting getting drunk or high, because it would go against my beliefs. Uh, it's just irresponsible. Yeah, we we have a right. we basically say to the kids when they're creating because you know again it's it's free flowing express themselves and and so we have as long as it doesn't hurt you or harm anyone else let's do it and um, you know there's poetic justice you know there's usage of stuff that yeah it, it needs to be in there because it needs to say something mm-hmm. um, you know the mm-hmm. record industry historically is built on controversy right mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. reason why millions of records were sold were not because there was you know kumbaya on there and, and hold hands and everything's love was because there was controversy and the way the system worked is mom and dad gave the kid allowance and the kid bought records that drive mo- drove mom and dad crazy. That's what it, and, the, and the more that it had parental, ad, you know, advisement on it, the better. Right. That's just the way it is. You're dealing with, uh, you know, teenage angst. You're dealing with all that. But there are ways of of doing it, you know. And, and I think when you deal with kids who have crossed a threshold and they're not they realize that something's not working. And they're a lot, in a lot of pain and a lot of suffering, and they don't want to get help. You know, who wants to be stigmatized with that or have to deal with that? But when they're in a place and they're open about it and the stuff that comes out of them, the messaging that comes out of it, whether it's, it's, uh, it has, you know, it's in a more poetic form, so you have to, it needs interpretation, or it's left to the, the listener's uh, own you know, mind to create, or it's explicit. It's right down the pike. 
and uh, creating an environment and a place for that. Kids are so wise. Unfortunately, because of the situation we have with mental health Ill situation in this country mm. and openness, and we have, you know, a, we have an epidemic. I mean, people are dying from diabetes, from overeating to opiate to overprescribed medication. So, you know, there's no hidden secret here. It's they live it. They see it every day. They're watching their friends dry, you know, die. Life is not that exciting because it's like the alternative is like, wow, I've got a hard road with an economy of how I'm going to make it and I've got all these people dying around me. So it's it's, you know, it's it's right in their face. It's right in their well, face. Well, they're also dealing with peer pressure. Mm-hmm. And high schools are just a a hotbed of you know, come on, man, try this. Come on, man, try that. Ah, oh, don't be so square. You know, don't be such a, a wuss. La la la. And 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 road recovery twice a week offers a, a safe haven from that. But then you know, these kids go out and they're back in high school the next week. It's it's a tough road. Uh, it's uh, and and for every generation, every generation throws up its uh, rebellion, which for me was playing music too loud. It was rock and roll. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and every generation has its rock and roll. And, you know, un- unfortunately, we become our parents. And I remember the first time I shouted upstairs, turn that music down. Said, oh, my God, I've just become my father. <laughs> and it, it, But it's that's the way of the world, you know. Every generation has its, uh, has its teenage angst. And we're just doing our best to try and channel the, these kids to a, a better way of living. How do you gauge your success as an organization working with these kids? Uh, When we started, we weren't interested in stats. It was all about, we had this idea, a bunch of us, and said, if we could help one kid, let's see. And it was a learning. This has all been 18 years of learning, of trial and error and making mistakes. Um, But one kid has led to another, is to another, and to another. And all our lives are that much richer. So this is not a one-way street. This is a two-way, I think. All of us on the staff side and people involved in the organization, we can say these kids have saved our lives as much as we've tried to help uh, them. No lovely question. thing to say. No lovely question. There's absolutely no question about that. And we have kids that that have society, their families have given up on them, and there's been that one little speck of hope. And oh my God, you just you know you can you go at it, you go at it, and then all of a sudden you can't explain it. Just one day they just turn a corner. And all of a sudden, it's like a completely different situation. And that's why – and then we've had parents who are te- living testimony to unconditional love, who have been through a battlefield of, of trying to help their kid. And then all of a sudden, you just see it. It clicks. And, and what's a life, you know? So our whole thing is, can we save one life? And in the course of it, we've saved our own lives too. So, I don't yeah. know, you know, it's 18 years. We got – a lot of kids, a lot of kids we've worked with, and they come back and they, you know, they stay in touch and they carry their own message. And then we ask them to come back and share that. And you know, we have this. This. You know, you know what knocks me out? There are kids in their late teens, and they have four, five, five, six years sobriety, mm. and then they're not, they're not even out of their teens. Yeah, and that just knocks me sideways. Have any yeah. of your kids gone on to successful music careers? Um, we actually have had one recently, um, a, a guy who um, had a band and, and tremendous talent and was making his way. And then he decided he took the test for the fire department, emergency stuff, and he ranked so high and he got offered to go to the academy. And he said, you know, 
the music business is the music business, but this is a job and I could I could really build a career and I think I'm going to go in that route. And then he said, you know, this is this experience of being on a on an ambulance is going to bring a lot of creative mortar to the table, so I'm going to do it. Um, we've had kids that have played incredible instruments and are now um, psychiatrists. They're now MDs, like the craziest people on earth, and yet they're going to be able to help some of the craziest people. So, kids that have started families. We have we have one that just a young lady who was with us for years and years. She just emailed us a picture of her second child. It's like wow, you know, it's incredible. Simon, while we have you on the phone, I'm curious of all the musical projects you've been involved in. What are you proudest of? Wow. Um, well, you know, my, my career is defined by two bands, Free and Bad Company, and several, several years with Ringo, Ringo Starr. And now my, I have my own solo career uh, in conjunction with Bad Company. Um, and honestly, I've got to say my, my new solo album, and I'm, I'm not going to shamelessly advertise it, uh, but being able to to write songs and, and perform them by myself. I'm very proud of that. But, of course, you know, Bad Company is still the, the biggest uh, thing in my musical life right now. So, yeah, there it is. Simon, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, George. Thank you very much. And, Gene, God bless you. I'll, I'll see, see you, you soon. soon, buddy. Yep, thanks, okay. Simon. Gene, thank Bye-bye. you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thanks, George. Gene Bowen is the co-founder of the organization Road Recovery. Simon Kirk is a drummer best known as a member of Free and Bad Company. He serves on Road Recovery's board. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. I'm George Boldarki. Thank you so much for listening. WFUV and WFUV HD New York. Listener supported public media from Fordham, the Jesuit University of New York. Music discovery starts here.